Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. So Father, we want to acknowledge you in your presence right now in this place. We want to acknowledge that this is your design, God, a place where we can gather together uh, physically in a group where we can open up the pages of Scripture, we can ask, Lord, for your, your guidance and direction, and that, you would be our, that you'd be our teacher, that you would instruct us uh, in the ways of godliness and in the things of truth. And so we ask that that would take place now, God, that you would equip me, Lord, speak to my heart, and as you've given me things uh, and prepared uh, my heart to share these things, God, I pray that you'd edify and build up those who have come here tonight, Lord, that you'd bless these men and women sitting before me with your word and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, something that movie writers, film directors often like to do is they'll sneak in little hints of, of what will happen at the end of the movie. And you can check out different lists of, of ways in which directors have done this. One of the famous ones is uh, in, in Star Wars Empire Strikes Back where Luke Skywalker, he's training it to be a Jedi and he strikes down like this vision of Darth Vader as he's training. He fights Darth Vader. And he knocks his helmet off, kind of breaks his helmet open, and it's Luke Skywalker's face inside the helmet. And it's like supposed to be this foreshadowing that Darth Vader's actually Luke Skywalker's dad. Did you know that? I don't know if you knew that or not. Crazy, right? Sorry if I spoiled that one for you. Um, another one is like in the Avengers, there's a few of them where they kind of allude to maybe Tony Stark sacrificing his life. Iron Man does die. Sorry, if you haven't seen it by now, that's, that's on you, but um, Iron Man dies. But on the first Avengers movie, they're getting onto this helicarrier thing that S.H.I.E.L.D. has. And there's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and he's sitting there playing a video game on his computer. And it's Galaga, I think is what it's called. And it's this game where you protect Earth from alien invaders, which is exactly what they end up doing in the climax of that movie. It was like a foreshadowing. The director's like, wink, we gave you a little hint. There's these all over different movies, okay? Um... And these are not only fun little hints, but they also demonstrate the author's omniscience over the whole storyline. The author, the writer of that story, knows exactly where everything is going. He's intentionally laid it out on purpose to do this, and it's fun to throw these hints in to reveal, hey, this was intentional, what we did. Well, as many of you guys already know, God is the ultimate author. He's the ultimate film director, right? He's the author of our salvation, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the director of this movie we call Existence. Like the whole existence thing from beginning to end, all of time, he is the director of this film. And all throughout the Bible, he's recorded very important events that foreshadow the way things would play out. Because he's omniscient. Because he's the writer of the storyline. He calls his shots. He, he's, he snuck in precedence for the things he would do later, and he did that throughout the Old Testament and throughout the Bible. And this chapter is perhaps one of the strongest examples of God's foreshadowing. By the way, a student last week brought this up to me um, saying, hey, I'm excited to get into chapter 22 because my professor was pointing out how, uh, how mean God is, is what they always do, and we'll, di- we'll dig into this a little more, how mean God is because he asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And that God is not omniscient because at the end of this he'll say, now I know that you fear me. But what's ironic is this chapter, God calling his shot, God foreshadowing the future, 
It doesn't, it doesn't tell us God doesn't know everything. It reveals to us God's omniscience as He's calling His shot, as He's telling us, eight ball corner pocket, this is how I'm going to save the world. He does it so strongly in this chapter. In fact, it's in this chapter that God has Abraham and Isaac act out what Jesus and the Father would do later when they rescue mankind from sin. And I just want to say right off the bat, that is the main point to this chapter. And remind you how privileged you are to live on this side of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, being revealed. Because for centuries, people would read this and they would see shadows of the Messiah in this. We can look back and see exactly how this represents Christ. But something that we learn in the New Testament as children of the New Covenant, so blessed, so privileged, we can study the New Testament and what we find is that God's covenant with Abraham, it came before the law and it takes precedence over the law. At least that's how the authors of the New Testament approach it and present it to us. That Abraham's life and the covenant with Abraham would be used to foreshadow the thing to come in the New Covenant. For instance, Abraham's uh, life, in, within Abraham's life, the, the true gospel was first explained. And if you rewind, go back a few chapters in our study, we talked about it, but it was during Abraham's life that the precedence was set that we are not saved by works, we are saved by faith. Because Abraham believed and God accredited it to him as righteousness. Before Abraham did any works, he had faith in God and he was made righteous. And the Apostle Paul tells us that in Romans. That is a precedence that precedes the law and that overrules salvation by works. Another thing is when Abraham interacts with this guy named Melchizedek. Melchizedek, the priest who has no beginning and no end, it sets the precedence for a priest to come who would supersede the Levitical priesthood whose priesthood would last from everlasting, like Melchizedek. And if you were here last night with Pastor Robert, he went deep into it. It was amazing. You should check out uh, that podcast or check out that, that video on the archives. It was really good. There's another thing that, that has precedence in Abraham's life, and that is when God wrote the contract out for Abraham's covenant. He said, I'm, I'm going to make you a contract, and here's how we do that. We chop up these animals, and both parties pass through. Do you guys remember that chapter when we went through that? Well, what happened? God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Abraham, and God alone passed through that contract. God alone, his signature alone was on that contract, saying that God was going to fulfill the covenant apart from Abraham. And that set the precedence that salvation is accomplished. The work of salvation is accomplished by God alone. We do not earn or strive for salvation. These are all things that have precedence in the life of Abraham, that God included in the life of Abraham, so we as children of the new covenant would understand this was his plan from the very get-go. And in this chapter, what we'll see is a very significant precedent regarding his plan of salvation. In fact, it's that this covenant, this very important covenant with Abraham is validated when a father sacrifices his son and the son lays down his life and submits to the will of the father. It is a picture of what Jesus Christ does when they validate, when he finishes the work of salvation the Father sacrifices the Son. The Son willingly lays down His life for the Father. Guys, in almost every detail of this chapter, Genesis 22, 
it's a picture of Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. It's amazing. This is an incredible prophetic chapter. Let's hop right in. Verse 1. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham. I think that's an interesting verse right in and of itself. After what things? What, what has just taken place? Well, God has just fulfilled His promise to bring forth the son, Isaac, that they waited 25 years for. God has just revealed that Abraham's name is great in the land. God has just made peace with Abraham's neighbors in the land. And God now shows up to test Abraham as things are good. You see, right now, things are going really well for Abraham. He is at the top, you could say. He is in that sweet spot in life. He's matured. God has fulfilled so many promises in his life. He's walking in the blessings. He's at the top. But it's so often, guys, that it's at the top when our tests come. Do you guys understand that? When you are doing well, when blessings are abundant, that is when the difficult tests often come. You see, we have times of, of valleys, difficulties, times of uh, trial and tribulation. And these are the times where God is, is working in us. He's developing our character. We are forged in the fire, but we are tested at the top. It's in the difficulties God is molding you and shaping your character. But as you come through the other side into seasons of blessing, watch out because that's when the difficult tests come. In fact, it's been said that for every 100 men that can handle failure, only one can truly handle success. Success can be a dangerous thing. And tragically, so many people make it to that sweet spot in life. They make it to the top of their careers or whatever. And they're even in ministry only to fail miserably and lose it all. How often have we, even lately, how often have we been reading about pastors who are falling into these moral failures? It's tragic. It's dangerous, guys. It's dangerous when you're in these sweet spots in life. That is why it's so important that we never allow ourselves to get to that point where we think we've arrived. You know what I mean? When God's blessing is upon us, He's given us position, He's given us influence, maybe He's given you a lot of money, you can do a lot of things, whatever you want, you can accomplish a lot. It's in those seasons we're at most risk because it's in those seasons where we allow ourselves to lose our dependency, our understanding of dependency upon God, and we start to get proud, and we start to get vulnerable. That's why we are tested at the top. The things that you, the, 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 the trials that come your way at the top catch you off guard, whereas when you're in those valleys, when you're going through difficult times, it's a lot harder for the enemy to hit you because you're humbled already. You're already desperate for God. When times are tough, it's easy to, to pray every day. But when things are going well, that's when you become vulnerable. That's when we need to be very careful. We need to be intentional during the times of, of ups and, and times of blessings to really seek the Lord, to keep Him first, to keep ourselves humble. And guess what? Abraham did just that. This test comes, and he was ready for it. Verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now that's, I mean, just as that verse stands alone, that's pretty intriguing. Brings a lot of questions is God really asking him to sacrifice his only son? 
Does God really want him to, to kill his son like all these pagan nations do around him? Is that really what's happening here? At face value, we might, we might think that's all that's happening, but there's more to it. But I don't know if, you, as you read that, you can't help but see the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the amazing thing about God, when He calls you to do something hard, He's already done it for you or He intends to do it on your behalf. See, God, if you know how the story ends, spoiler alert, He tells Abraham not to sacrifice Isaac. But what He's doing, as I said, is painting the picture of what He would do. And what's interesting about this text here is this is the first time love is injected into the Bible, is introduced to us in the pages of Scripture. And it's not the love between a man and a woman. It's a love between a father and a son, which just speaks volumes to us about God's love for Jesus Christ, the greatest sacrifice, the greatest love, God, His love for His Son, Jesus, the only begotten, the glory of heaven, the darling of heaven, was given so that we would be redeemed. See, separated from the covenants, it seems quite harsh. But understanding what's happening here, it's an amazing picture of God's love. So God says, take Isaac, the son I've promised, the son that you love, and offer him up to me. He says, give him back to me. This son that I've given you, that you're wild about, that you're so excited about, you have great expectations for, I want you to give him back to me. Now there's more going on than just kill your son. I want you to sacrifice your son. There's more to it than that. But if we are to just look at this for face value, guys, and what God is asking him to do, the test is to take something amazing, this amazing, incredible blessing that God has given you, and give it back to him. Be open-handed with the blessing God has given you. That's really what God is asking Abraham to do here. I waited 25 years for this son. In fact, my name's been Father for my whole life, and I had to wait a hundred years before I actually could be a father, a true father, to the son of promise. Right? God is asking, I want you to take this amazing blessing and give it back to me. And there's a very important principle here that applies to everything in life, guys. And that is blessings, your blessings, the things that God has for you, the things He's given you, they are most blessed when you give them back to God. When you hold them open-handedly, and you say, God, thank you for this. It's yours. It's yours. You want God to bless your relationships and dating and bringing along a spouse? Then you need, to, you need to honor God with that area of life. You need to give that to Him. Lay that down at the altar. You want God to bless your marriage. Don't pursue marriage as something you can get out of it. Lay that thing down at the altar of God. Give it back to God and watch Him bless it. Your career, your business, you want God to bless these things. Let go of control and let God have, have rule and reign in these things. And you'll see God bless you beyond what you could imagine. Your life, do you want your life to actually matter? Do you want it to count for eternity? Then you need to lay your life down on the altar just like Isaac does. Lay your life down. Put it back in God's hands and stop living for yourself. That's what God is showing us here. Give me the blessing I've given you. Give it back to me. And watch me continue to bless you. God is saying to Abraham, you're so blessed by Isaac, you have great expectations. If you want to see him truly fulfill his call, what's his call? 
His call is to become a great nation. Isaac's call is to have more kids, and through the line of Isaac, uh, should the whole family of God be named. Through Abraham's family, it should be called by Isaac, and all the nations of the world would be blessed. You want to see that happen, God, Abraham? Then give him back to me, God is saying. Give him back to me. And don't forget, the prophecy and the promise of Isaac is also connected to the very first gospel that has been preached in the Bible, the Proto-Evangelium, Genesis chapter 3. You can go back and listen to that teaching too if you missed it. What is the, what is the first gospel? That the seed of the woman born in the godly line of Seth, someone would come along in this seed and would conquer sin on behalf of mankind. Well, this is that line continued, and it is continued through Isaac. God intends to bring about the Messiah through Isaac. And for all Abraham knows at this point, Isaac would be the Messiah. Do you realize that? Abraham doesn't, doesn't know if, if, who, at what point the Proto-Evangelium prophecy will be fulfilled. For all he knows, it could be Isaac who fulfills it. And this is significant, guys. Because we have to make the mistake, so many make the mistake as they read this chapter, and they disconnect this request from the previous covenants and promises of God. And they think, well, God must have... He really threw a curveball with this one. He's contradicting His promises but I want to tell you, God never contradicts His promise. God is always faithful. He never contradicts Himself. And He's faithful to keep every promise that He makes. You see, we forget that. It's sad because as we read something like this, we automatically go to doubting God's goodness and doubting God's faithfulness and being like, how could God do that? But Abraham didn't do that. And I really want to emphasize it and point that out. He didn't view it this way. Abraham had God's goodness and faithfulness in mind when God asked him to do this thing. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So Abraham's preparing to obey this. And in all the dramatizations of this, if you've seen this in like the Bible, in the Bible shows and the Bible TV show on HBO, they always like act out this very dramatic scene and Abraham is just distraught and he's crying and maybe he's throwing things. And, but the text doesn't seem to indicate that. We assume that's how he acted because that's how a normal dad would react if forced to kill their child. But the text seems to indicate Abraham just obeys right away. And I, I don't believe Abraham reacted that way. And this is the reason. Because Abraham didn't interpret this request to simply murder his son to make God happy. That's not what Abraham understood this to be. He saw this as a means through which God would fulfill his promises with Isaac. And I'll show you how we have scriptural evidence for that. He heard this obstacle. He said, give, give your son back to me. God said that to Abraham. And Abraham realized this is the way to bless Isaac. This isn't the way to hurt my son. God's not trying to harm my son. God's, God wants more for my son. And just a little side note for us parents, if we really want God to work in our lives, we need to surrender our kids to the Lord. We need to trust God with our kids. But how can we know this? You see, the Holy Spirit reveals this to us through Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Again, it's amazing to be a child of the New Covenant because we have these 
This, this extra wisdom from the Holy Spirit. So in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17, I want to share this with you guys. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. So he who just received what God had promised him was in the act of, of offering his son back to God, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Abraham has the covenant in mind. He hasn't forgotten God's promise. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What was Abraham's thought process? Well, God's going to do an amazing thing here. He's going to make Isaac's name even greater by raising him from the dead. It's going to be awesome. Abraham is very aware, guys, that Isaac is important to God, that God loves Isaac, and that God is not about to change his mind and just allow Isaac to die. But again, that's how so many people view this this text. In fact, if that were the case, guys, God would be going against the covenant that he's adamantly orchestrated to include Isaac. Like we've been reading for the past three or four chapters how specific God has been and how, how intentional God has been about orchestrating this to include Isaac So much so that God waited until it was physically impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have kids so that Isaac's birth would be supernatural, miraculous, so that it would be a sign to those who would look into these things. So much so that God had Ishmael removed out of the picture completely so there was no chance of sharing uh, being the promised son, being the heir of Abraham. God has made it crystal clear to us and to Abraham, look, Isaac is a huge part of this thing. So let's not so readily throw that out the window. Abraham's like, well, his birth was miraculous. His resurrection is going to be even crazier. Let's do this. Let's do this. He had this hope of the resurrection. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. So he saw this mountain from afar. And the place of sacrifice, um, it's, it's argued it was the highest point on Mount Moriah because Abraham was able to see it from a distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there. Now, where it says boy, that's the same word for the young men who were there helping him. So we get this impression that Isaac is a little child, but he might not necessarily be a little child. We'll talk more about that in a, in a minute here. He says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Who's going to come back? Abraham is expecting to return with Isaac. Hey, me and my son, we'll be back in just a few days. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, which would be a considerable amount of wood, by the way. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now, what's interesting about Isaac's comment is that he was aware of the procedure for sacrificing to God. This was probably something he and Abraham did regularly. We know Abraham did it regularly. I would imagine he included his son over the years. So much so that Isaac's like, I know the protocol. It's wood, you know, we get the knife, we make a fire, we we build an altar, but 
we need a lamb. Isaac knew the protocol was to, to kill a lamb. And what's interesting about this is that the lamb has been the standard of sacrifice before the Lord since Genesis chapter 4 with Abel. When, a, when God received Abel's sacrifice, he gave of the flock. He, he, he gave, he gave a, a, a lamb to the Lord. And all of this, guys, points, again, to the Lamb of God, to Jesus, who would fulfill the sacrificial system, who would fulfill this sacrifice, who would fulfill what Abel's sacrifice symbolized. It, it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Verse 8, And Abraham said, God will provide Himself the Lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. God will provide Himself a burnt offering, a lamb. Now this is that moment in the movie when you realize after you've watched it, you're watching it the second time, and you're realizing they told you exactly how it would end in in the beginning of the movie. This is that point right now in the Bible. In fact, it's such an obvious prophecy of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice God provided through Him. In fact, remember guys, Abraham is a prophet. Abraham is considered a prophet. And according to the tablet theory, this is his eyewitness. He's writing this out. So the Holy Spirit uh, anoints Abraham to speak prophetically, and he, he declares that God would provide him for himself a sacrifice. God is going to take care of it. Yeah, God says we need a sacrifice, but don't worry. God will also bring forth a sacrifice. Now, many scholars who study the original language believe it's even stronger of a declaration than that. They believe what Abraham just said in the original language is actually God would Himself be the sacrifice. God would provide Himself as a lamb for the sacrifice. That's what they say the original language could very well be speaking and meaning. Which, of course, is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And Guys, this is what's so amazing about our faith. This is what's so amazing about the Gospel. The God who has such a high standard of holiness... The standard to get into heaven is perfection. I don't know if you know that. The Bible does not teach if you're a good person, you get into heaven. The standard is perfection. And our God is a holy God and a just judge. But He's also a God who is willing to sacrifice for your sins. And that's what's incredible. That's what separates our faith from every other faith out there. There's a lot of gods out there with a lot of standards and a lot of guilt to to pile onto you. And none of them will lift a finger to help you. But the the true God, the true and living God, the God of the Bible, has provided a sacrifice for you in the person of Jesus Christ because He loves you. That's incredible. There's no other faith like what we have, guys. Hi, everyone. Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to those of you who also share this content and help us get the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus out into our community. We would love to invite you out to our in-person services. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you.